It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. With an economy in crisis, gas prices sky high, and a president who's at a loss for how to stop any of it, Americans are beginning to lose confidence in Joe Biden. Failure is so apparent that even Democratic candidates are starting to run away from the president just ahead of the midterm elections. I'll bring you the latest edition of why Biden is a terrible president in tonight's On the Line. New CNN reporting this morning about an overwhelming sense of frustration among Democrats over what is being described as mismanagement inside the Biden administration. One member of Congress calls the White House rudderless, aimless, and hopeless. Welcome to Hold the Lawn. I'm Buck Sexton. That was CNN's John Berman reporting on the growing frustration among Democrats with the failures of the Biden White House. The realization that he sucks at this. He really does. This is not going well, folks. Their ideas have resulted in failure. Their promises they have not fulfilled. The things they said were going to go right have gone wrong. You can do this all day. You look around at the metrics. The things that we all have to understand are the only data-based ways that we can assess a presidency, and they're really bad across the board, pretty much. Joe Biden must know this at some level, which is why so many people are starting to say, among Democrats, mind you, can this guy really run for a second term? Is that really where we're heading? The average national price of gas, for example, just to give you a little snapshot, $4.78 a gallon. Now, this is a little bit down from the $5 a gallon threshold that we had been at recently, but this is only part of the problem you see. 
Because I understand what the Democrat talking point will be. They'll say, oh, you know, gas prices aren't the president's fault. There's some truth to that. But there's also some truth to the reality that gas prices are actually related to energy policy and economic policy from the administration. Clearly, because they started to go up a lot when Joe Biden took office. Gee, I wonder how that happens. But then there's something even more troubling, which is the lack of a fundamental understanding from this White House about how gas prices actually work. It's one thing to say, hey, it's not all Biden's fault. It's another thing to say, well, he doesn't even understand why the prices are high and makes it worse by trying to bully producers and, in this case, gas stations with just gibberish. I mean, here is Biden tweeting out that gas stations are to blame for high prices. He wrote wrote over the 4th of July weekend, my message to the companies running gas stations and setting prices at the pump is simple. This is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product and do it now. Does Joe Biden really not understand that the gas stations are at the very tail end of the whole production and selling mechanism to get fossil fuels to all of us that we need? Does he not understand that they don't just jack up prices because they feel like it? In fact, they usually, gas stations, make very little money, profit off the gas they sell. It's much more driven by the convenience stores that gas stations operate as well, which is why pretty much all gas stations have them. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? But it's amazing as well to see not only Joe Biden, but the top advisors around him clearly have no idea what the heck is going on. I mean, here is White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, who had no idea that there was some oil from U.S. reserves actually being sent to China. Watch. Um, and then there's a Reuters report um, out this morning that says that more than 5 million barrels of oil that were released from the emergency of oil reserves were exported to Europe and Asia last month, and some of it reportedly was actually heading to China. Uh, is the administration aware of those reports, and um, you know, does, it, does the president mind that some of this oil that was meant to uh, ease pain for consumers is headed overseas? I have not seen that report, so I would honestly have to go look into it and see what what the truth is in that in that uh, statement that you just laid out and see exactly what's happening. I, I just have not seen that report. Yes, I haven't seen it. No idea what's going on. Right. And then there's some of the places where this administration is really falling down on the job, but somehow wants to tell us that it's actually good. They say this with the economy all the time. Oh, Biden's created millions of jobs. No, actually, he hasn't created millions of jobs. The end of the artificial COVID lockdown uh, restrictions on the economy and on hiring have allowed jobs to return that were shut down by the stupid government that never should have done in the first place. But Biden's created millions of jobs, they say. This is absurd. But perhaps the place where the numbers are even more obvious that the Biden administration is just in complete freefall than anywhere else is at the border. You have all-time record last year illegal crossings in the United States. You have gotaways as well as illegal entries that are being uh, tabulated at just sky-high numbers. And the DHS secretary under Biden, Mayorkas, somehow thinks they're doing a good job. Watch. Southern border. Just a simple question. Do you think it's working? 
I think that we are um, doing a good job. We need to do better. We're doing a good job. They aren't, actually. They're doing a terrible job, and it's because fundamentally the Democrats don't want to change the incentive structure that's currently in place for illegal crossings in the United States. Come to America illegally, cross the southern border right now, you will get to stay. Most likely, you will get to stay. That is the situation. So guess what? More and more people keep coming. Until they change that, the situation just continues to deteriorate. And speaking of deteriorating situations, Democrats are going into an election where they are likely to get absolutely destroyed. They deserve, to be clear, they deserve to be destroyed. Their ideas are idiotic and they have hurt the country. They have no good ideas under the Biden administration that have come to fruition. It has all been spend, 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 regulate, regulate, and ideologically driven climate change. We hate the Supreme Court when it doesn't give us exactly what we want. Nonsense. And people that are swing voters and people that are thinking about who they're going to cast their ballot for the next time around, well, they're not so excited about this Biden regime, which is why Corinne Jean-Pierre here again was asked, why are Ohio candidates, Nan Whaley and Tim Ryan, Tim Ryan running for Senate, don't want to, why is it they don't want to be seen with Biden when he's in Ohio? Watch. Green on Ohio, and you know, Tim Ryan, the Senate candidate, is, is not joining the president today. Neither is the, the Democratic uh, gubernatorial nominee, Nan Whaley. Um, I know you need to listen to people who are, but those are the main statewide candidates. And what does that say about the president's clout in Ohio that they're, they're not joining him today? So I'll say this. Uh, we're in close contact with um, the Congressman Tim Ryan in particular and, and work with him and also uh, also Nan Whalen. Uh, we, work, we work closely with him on, uh, just as it relates to Tim Ryan, on, ver on a variety of issues. What does that even mean? We're in close contact with them? What does that mean? Why don't they want to be seen with Biden? Well, we all know because Biden is toxic politically. That's why. And the middle class is picking up on this too because Biden hasn't been good for them. A recent Monmouth poll shows the majority of the American middle class do not believe they have benefited from Biden's policies. 54% not at all. 34% a little. That is 88% of the middle class saying uh, Biden has not been good for us. One another, really interesting. I believe it also adds up to 88, and it does. Monmouth, same poll. What country Americans think the country is headed What What uh, direction Americans think the country is headed in? Uh, right direction, 11%. Wrong direction, 88% of people think that Joe Biden, good old Joe, going to unite the country, slap some back, shake some hands, kiss some babies. What a buffoon. A buffoon. People who voted for him should be ashamed. All right, well, the failure to prevent the 4th of July shooting in Highland Park is highlighting the ineffectiveness of Illinois and Chicago's gun control laws. We'll take a look at that with senior editor at The Federalist, David Harsanyi, in a moment. But first, let's talk about protecting your most valuable asset, your home. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent who found the home she lived in was listed for sale. The problem was she wasn't selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime happening all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowner's insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and help get your home back in your name. So here's what you should do. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and read the testimonials from FBI agents and government officials. 
Then register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. When you protect your home, tell them Buck sent you to get 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. April of 2019, uh, an individual contacted Highland Park Police Department uh, a week after learning of Mr. Cremo attempting suicide. Uh, this was a delayed report, so Highland Park still responded to the residents a week later, spoke with Cremo, spoke with Cremo's parents, and the matter was being handled by uh, mental health professionals at that time. There was no law enforcement action uh, to be taken. The second occurred in September of 2019. A family member reported that Cremo said he was going to kill everyone and Cremo had a collection of knives. The police responded to his residence. The police removed 16 knives, a dagger, and a sword from Cremo's home. At that time, there was no probable cause to arrest. There were arrest. There were no complaints that uh, were signed by any of the victims. The Highland Park Police Department, however, did immediately notify the Illinois State Police of the incident. Deputy Chief of the Lake County Sheriff's Department detailing there the chilling past of the Highland Park man who allegedly killed eight people and injured dozen, dozens more during a July 4th parade this past weekend. After announcing the alleged shooter will be charged with many counts of murder, the state attorney praised Illinois' failed red flag laws and called for a nationwide assault weapons ban. Watch. Illinois has a strong red flag law that keeps communities safe and respects everyone's rights. We must vastly increase awareness and education about this red flag law. The goal of this tool is to ensure the safety of the individual and those around them. But separate from these red flag laws, which are very powerful in Illinois, we should also ban assault weapons in Illinois and beyond. So if a red flag law doesn't stop someone like this shooter, who exactly does it stop? Let's ask senior editor at The Federalist, David Harsani. David, good to see you again. My pleasure to be here. Thanks. So the red flag law here in Illinois clearly did not stop somebody who was visibly insane, had a record of lethal threats against people, including his own family members. Police visited him, but the state attorney general is praising the red flag law. I, I don't understand what's going on with that one. Well, I don't understand either. I mean, clearly, uh, the red flag law, which in Illinois is quite strong, uh, did not work. But the truth is that studies show or some studies show that they almost never work anyway. Red flag laws. But, you know, it's very hard to know when it works because you can't tell what someone is going to do or not do. But um, it doesn't seem like it does much, much. The Washington Post went through every shooting, mass shooting since 2015, I think, and found two instances where possibly a red flag law might have helped. And now there'll be three, obviously. But if they don't work as they are in the state where it's the strongest, I think New Jersey might have a stronger one, then I'm not sure uh, what, what, what it's supposed to, to do or why we would pass more. Um, and, you know, I saw he, the guy mentioned that, uh, you know, it doesn't undermine people's rights. That's not true either. It does. And if we're undermining the rights and due process of, peop of, of people who don't commit crimes and then we let people like this get through and do it, then what is the point of having a red flag law at all? I, I ask that question. I, I sit around wondering, we just we just went through this whole national debate, David, 
uh, about red flag laws and without even looking at the, I think, clear due process concerns that they, that they pose and, and honestly constitutional issues that they raise, if it doesn't work in a case like this, well, you know, I, I would want to know specifically in the case of Illinois, so this guy's crazy, he's got weapons, he says he wants to kill everyone. That was, I think, the quote, I'm going to kill everyone. And he was able to go in and buy a gun legally, completely legally. So what is the red flag law doing? Well, I think we're, we're learning more, right? But I think that the fa his father vouched for him or something like that, which, you know, um, I am for enforcing laws that exist on the book, books when it comes to guns. So if you have someone dangerous and the father knows that that kid is dangerous and still vouches for them and allows them to have weapons, I mean, maybe we have to look at, at, at holding them responsible as well for this kind of thing, though I don't know all the specifics to that. We should also mention, I know this didn't happen in Chicago, but Illinois has red flag laws and has all kinds of gun control laws. Chicago has literally like every gun control law imaginable. And yet, uh, the, you know, they, they're talking about red flag laws work and also about banning AR-15s, which are rarely used in criminality in those states, and uh, and blaming places like Indiana and other states for why there are guns in, in um, Illinois. And that's not true either. Most weaponry used in, in Chicago comes from Illinois. If anything, the, the crime from Chicago spreads and goes to Indiana, not the other way around. So it's like, again, we're just constantly talking about these laws and, and, and policies that don't, aren't doing anything to mitigate mass shootings or, or criminality in general. Here is the Lake County state's attorney saying that what we've really learned here with the Highland Park shooting are the gaps in the state's gun laws. Watch. Well, yeah, the, the, the gap in the state's gun laws would be that we don't ban assault weapons. So, yes. Um, with respect to the red flag laws, you have to look at the individual. You have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. When the information is inputted to, to people who are working on all types of public safety issues and, and how that information is stored, how that information is flagged later. Uh, but, with respect to, but with respect to holes in gun laws, we need an assault weapon ban, and we need to make sure that uh, the community. We need to make sure that uh, law enforcement is using the red flag law, the firearm restraining order law. I mean, it's just this guy, the fact this guy's in law enforcement is, is honestly disconcerting because I can't even, it's not even clear to me what he thinks this is really going to do. When he says an assault rifle ban, do we even know when, when Democrats talk about this, what is that even supposed to mean? I, meaning, does that just mean no assault rifles allowed to be possessed? Or is it no assault rifles allowed to be sold in the state of Illinois, for example? Are you supposed to turn in your assault rifle if you have one, or will it be grandfathered? Do they make that clear? Do we know? I don't think there has been any assault weapon uh, ban, which obviously is a malleable term, can mean all kinds of things. We don't really know what they're talking about because it's just a basically about what the gun looks like. But I don't think any have gone for, to, you know, I think that it's just to sell new new ones in the state. I don't think anyone's ever gone around trying to confiscate them, which would not probably work out very well. So uh, I don't know what this guy means. I don't know why he thinks that a person, uh, this kid, this, this murderer had swords and knives and all kinds of weapons that he wouldn't get some kind of nine millimeter handgun and do the same thing. And he, I mean, he's, a, he's in law enforcement, so he knows what he's saying is ridiculous. But, you know, they're just taking it incrementally and they use these tragedies to try to pass laws that would not have stopped them, that would stop law-abiding citizens from, from practicing their rights. And here is the vice president, Kamala Harris, making a visit to Highland Park yesterday and, of course, calling for stronger gun laws. Watch. Congress 
needs to have the courage to act and renew the assault weapons ban. An assault weapon is designed to kill a lot of human beings quickly. There is no reason that we have weapons of war on the streets of America. We need reasonable gun safety laws. We need to have Congress stop protecting those gun manufacturers with the liability shield. Repeal it. Repeal it. I mean, so much of what she says is so stupid that I, I honestly am flabbergasted. It's getting tedious to go over it every time, not tedious to be here and talking to you. It's just like they constantly lie. And it doesn't matter how many times you mention that there is no special manufacturing liability shield for uh, gun manufacturers. They are liable for, for, the, for their products in the way that every other industry is. It would be like being able to sue a, a car company because you're because someone, you know, engages in a you know, has a hit and run and then you can sue them for it. It doesn't make any sense. Um, assault weapons, the AR-15s are not weapons of war. They have never been used in, in, Americans have never used that gun in war. They have a military style M16 that's different. And, you know, all guns are made to kill people. That's true. Well, that that was the most amazing part. Why. I'm sitting here like, does she think that, you know, Glock is manufacturing pistols that just sting? No, they're lethal devices meant to kill people. And they do kill people all the time, all over the country who use them incorrectly or illegally rather um and it's just uh, david i don't we keep going over this but they keep pushing we got to push back thanks for being here and bringing some sanity to it yeah thanks for having me with a growing economic crisis the sky-high price of gas and biden's presidency running on fumes it's easy to forget the government is continuing its covid 19 fear-mongering we come back i'll take a look at the latest on covid 19 and the ongoing efforts to vaccinate all of america in the buck brief First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed. We know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using uh, proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communications based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mind your data, never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, anybody with total confidence you're not being spied on by big tech. Go to secure.com now. Take back your privacy. S-E-K-U-R.com. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. With all that's going on in the world, it's easy to forget that COVID-19 is still a thing. Just last month, the government was busy gearing up to vaccinate millions of American children under the age of five. And it appears, at least for now, parents aren't very enthusiastic about giving their young children the jab. I'll take a look at the latest on COVID-19. It's still a thing, folks, and we need to look at it. Coming up on The Buck Brief. So I happen to be in the uh, small city of Asheville, North Carolina over the 4th of July holiday. Now, some of you may have noticed this actually because I happen to remark on the high level of masking, particularly N95 masking by people in businesses in downtown Asheville. 
I just said, hey, there's a lot of N95 masks here, more so than I see per capita in New York City. What's going on? That was it, more or less what I said. And boom, the libs went nuts. They freaked out. It trended nationally on Twitter. There are numerous North Carolina-based newspapers that were saying I was sneering at the people of Asheville. I wasn't sneering at anybody. I just want to know why is it you go to, you know, this little communist enclave and they're all masked up. Do they know something we don't know? Well, actually, they know less than anybody who reads and is honest with themselves would know about COVID. That's for sure. But they're not done, folks. This is what I want. There's still in New York City some mask mandates. Uber has a mask mandate for New York City transit. If you're going to use the Uber service, got to wear a mask still. The, uh, the Roosevelt Island tram, the New York City subway, mask mandates in these places still. They're not done with this stuff. So I, I think it's important everyone understands you may think it's all good now, but that's just because Democrats are laying a little low on this stuff in advance of the midterm elections. But they still have the federal government with Joe Biden. They had the executive branch more specifically. And Biden might just decide to sign another, you know, executive branch order for this winter. You may see states like New York mandating vaccines in schools, the new version of the vaccine, mind you, in schools. You've got a lot of big challenges ahead here. This issue is not over. Democrats, though, because they've been so wrong about so much, don't want to talk about it very much. We will continue to talk about it because it's important and because they're planning a whole lot more for you, whether you realize it or not. If you think you're safe from this, just remember federal overreach, whatever state you live in, whatever town you live in, they're coming for you. Here is, for example, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bourla, who does sound like a James Bond villain when he talks about this stuff. He's just letting everybody know recently that we're going to have COVID, new COVID shots every year. And unlike the flu shot, these are going to be mandatory for a lot of people, probably. Watch. Do you think we're going to get updated mRNA vaccines every season that'll be directed to each new variation of the coronavirus? And will we have to take those shots every year? I'm almost certain about it. And I say almost certain because, of course, regulators have the final say in all of that. But that's the beauty of mRNA. You can adapt your vaccine just by changing the sequencing, which is a very minor change, either manufacturing or in the properties of the vaccine, safety or efficacy, but can make a huge difference in the way that responds to the virus. So for this reason, I'm very confident that we will be able to respond very, very fast to every new variant. The vaccines are trash, basically. I mean, they help a little bit, we think, at prevention of hospitalization and death for those at risk. Remember, your chance of death from COVID is small as a general matter to begin with by the numbers. It's less than 1%. And beyond that, it's substantially less than 1%. And beyond that, if you are not in the high-risk age category, your risk is far, far, far lower. I mean, for children, it's, for small children, it's like one in a million. So what are we even doing here, folks? He's talking about the beauty of the mRNA vaccines. mRNA vaccines didn't stop the last wave of COVID at all. Didn't stop it. Our buddy Alex Berenson, by the way, is back on Twitter. He actually sued Twitter for kicking him off for saying things about vaccines that turned out to be true. Now, Berenson is back, and he's letting everybody know that, guess what? It does not stop infection, the vaccine, or transmission, he wrote today. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Think of it at best as a therapeutic with a limited window of efficacy and a terrible side effect profile that must be dosed in advance of illness. And we want to mandate it? Insanity. Yeah, it is crazy, folks. okay? This is nuts. 
They made us do something that was unjust to begin with, and they were wrong on the basis of why they made us do it. People need to understand this. They were wrong. And they can say, oh, but it was an emergency and we were scared. But yeah, but they always think it's an emergency. They always are scared. That's why they're libs. Biden administration still pandering to them, refusing to speak the truth to them. You know, if Fauci gave a crap about people, he would come out and say that if you're still wearing a mask, honestly, get a grip, get a life, stop being crazy. But he won't. He won't. So when I go to Asheville on vacation in North Carolina, I see all these loons walking around with N95 masks on. I'm talking about people who are 25 years old. Oh, I know. Then you get in the comment section. What if they have immune disorder? Really? Everybody there, just in the place that votes for Bernie Sanders for president every, every election cycle, just there, suddenly everybody with an immune disorder shows up. Give me a break. Ridiculous what these people are saying. It's crazy talk. Biden administration panders to it, though. Here's a statement by Biden from June 18th, when vaccines became available for kids under five. Today is a monumental step forward in our nation's fight against the virus, with every American now eligible for the protections that COVID-19 vaccines provide. Wasn't a monumental step forward, um, because guess what? We actually know that parents are not choosing, overwhelmingly, not choosing to get their small children the vaccine. Here you go. Uh, This is a graph showing vaccinations by age group in, in Ohio. About 1% of kids, 1 to 4, have been vaccinated. Nationwide, just so you know, it's about the same. It's about 1% of kids, 1 to 4, so far have been vaccinated. So 99 out of 100 kids in that age group, the parents have said, you know what, I don't think we're going to do this. And they're making the right decision. Their children do not need this shot. The shot does not stop them from getting it, does not stop them from spreading it, and they are not at risk. It is very straightforward. But the medical community of the blue check libs who vote for Biden and think they're so smart, they still back this stuff up. They're appalling. And they're using whatever propaganda tools are at their disposal to try to get kids to take this stuff. Sesame Street, for example, is using Elmo, the most annoying Sesame Street character, to try to sell the vaccine. Now Daddy has super duper bandages just like Elmo. (laughs) You were super duper today getting your COVID vaccine, Elmo. There was a little pinch, but that was okay. Elmo was really glad to have Daddy and baby David there with him. Baby David, Uh, where are you? I had a lot of questions about Elmo getting the COVID vaccine. Was it safe? Was it the right decision? I talked to our pediatrician so I could make the right choice. (laughs) I learned that Elmo getting vaccinated is the best way to keep himself our friends, neighbors, and everyone else healthy and enjoying the things they love. That's just not true. I mean, you're being lied to by puppets there. But who cares? All right, there's a new voicemail recording of Joe Biden from his son's laptop that's raising new questions about what the president knew about his son's business dealings. We'll have more on that with commentary writer for the Washington Examiner and First TV contributor Tina Lowe in a moment. Stay with us. Hey, pals, Dad. It's 8.15 um, on uh, Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Nothing urgent. just want to talk to you. I thought the article, at least the thing on online, is going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think it's clear. Recently released voicemail left by President Joe Biden on his son Hunter's phone. Well, it has surfaced and it is raising new questions about the president's knowledge and involvement in his son's shady business dealings. The White House is refusing to give the public a statement on the latest revelations. Obviously, it seems, covering up for the big guy, 
10% for the big guy. Join me now to discuss contributor here at the First TV, Tina Lowe. Tina, good to see you. Hey, Buck. So let's just sort of start at the 30,000 foot level here, right? Let's just, let's take a, Joe Biden lied, right? When he said that he didn't know anything about Hunter's business dealings abroad, didn't know a thing. Obviously, and this is information that predates even the discovery of the laptop. Back in 2019, you had multiple Biden staffers anonymously and named go on the record as he was gearing up for his presidential campaign. They had concerns about Hunter's business dealings, including Amos Hochstein, who worked for both Vice President Biden and now works again for the Biden administration, warned specifically about Hunter Biden with that Burisma deal. But now we know that there was more concerns, not just about Hunter, but also about Joe Biden's brother and their business dealings with China, which now you have Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI and the head of MI6 coming out to talk about that they're concerned about Chinese espionage in the Western world. So these are all things that are directly tied to our national security. Um, and we have been gaslit lied to for more than two years now about this laptop and about Hunter Biden's role more generally. I mean, even his ex-wife has said, has confirmed that she has been investigated by law enforcement with regards to Hunter's business dealings. This is something that is now, you know, they're looking into criminality here, criminality for things that directly implicate the leader of the free world um, about his vulnerabilities with America's enemies. Representative James Comer of Kentucky, who serves as a ranking member on the House Oversight Committee, wrote a letter to Janet Yellen Wednesday demanding details about shady business dealings conducted by Hunter Biden, his associates, and other Biden family members, which have been flagged and reported by U.S. banks. So there's clearly smoke, right? And we're trying to see if there's fire. And I think there probably is fire. It's a question of what people want to call it. But we're looking for more information here. We know there's a grand jury that has, con that has been convened in the state of Delaware over Hunter Biden, they say, over his tax issues, but who knows what's going on there. Does the, does the Democrat apparatus go all in, do you think, to continue to stonewall? Or, I mean, this is from my, my uh, co-host Clay, who you know very well. He thinks that maybe this starts to become the opening for them to push old man Biden out so he doesn't run for a second term and lose. So we already know that so much for Biden, you know, unifying the country, his Treasury Department responded to that request saying that they will only release information if they get if Republic if House Republicans can get Democrats on board. So per your point, will Democrats start getting on board? I'm not sure. It would be awfully convenient because it would be a way of getting Biden out without it having the same political blowback of you know targeting him for how he handled inflation, targeting him for how he handled Afghanistan, because those would implicate other Democrats, right? If you're Gavin Newsom, it's very ex politically expedient to, to get Biden out on the basis of something other than his own personal political performance, because it doesn't, that's not tied to the Democratic Party as a whole. But who are the front runners? How much hold do they have over House Democrats? Because it's really going to have to start with House Democrats who are willing to work with Republicans. Right now, they don't want to give Republicans another win. And furthermore, it's sort of short-sighted because it's kind of too late for Democrats to change their tune on this now, considering that, again, these concerns about Hunter Biden have gone 
back since the Obama administration among Biden's own allies. And so what do they say? All this, all of a sudden, now that the Washington Post finally acknowledges that the laptop is real, now they have to pretend to care? Well, you have to wonder how long they can pull this routine. I mean, here's Corrine Jean-Pierre, who when is asked about this, it's very straightforward. Joe Biden said when he's running for president, I knew nothing and not a single thing about Hunter's overseas business dealings. Here he is before he's running for president saying on a voicemail, yeah, your business dealings that are shady, I think you're going to be okay. Here's what happens when the White House press secretary is asked about this, Tina. If that's what the president said, that, that is what stands. And Usually second, secondly, New York Times article but secondly, concerning secondly, business dealings, and he says, I think you're clear. How is that not him talking to his son about his overseas business dealings? We're not from this podium. I am not going to talk about alleged materials from the laptop. So I will. I am not. Voice on the I am not going to talk about alleged materials on the laptop. Are it's you not happening. Then that it is not. Peter, I refer you to uh, to his son's representative. <laughs> Just, I love this. Also, alleged material from the laptop. I don't think that really flies anymore. I got to say. No, I mean, the alleged laptop at this point has been verified by law enforcement itself, multiple mainstream media newspapers, and if you were willing to listen to us way back when, publications including my own Washington Examiner and first and foremost, the New York Post. Um, with regards to how Biden has always dealt with the media and his family, one of the most fascinating reads that I've taken a look at recently was the memoir from Hunter Biden's ex-wife, Kathleen Buell, who now goes by her maiden name. Because in it, she does address how, how the Biden family machine handled her ex-husband's affair with Bo Biden's widow. And she says that, quite frankly, that statement that came out in, in 2017, where, where Joe Biden said, luckily, Hunter and Hallie found each other after they were no longer with their respective spouses was another lie. So we know that that the Biden family machine doesn't care much about lying to the press if it protects their own. So yes, this is something that directly implicates the president, his own ethics, and his ties to foreign governments this, and this, his vulnerabilities. We have a, a little montage here. Time for a montage, Tina, of just some of the uh, some of the things that make it seem like maybe Joe and Hunter, you know, were doing some bad stuff. Watch. Then Vice President Joe Biden at dinner with his son Hunter, along with Hunter's business associates from Ukraine, Russia, and Kazakhstan. And the day after the dinner, a Burisma executive sent a note to Hunter, quoting, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. Hunter's lucrative business dealings often included giving as much as 50% of his earnings to his dad. The text read, quote, I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard, but don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. That looks pretty bad. <laughs> of course it does. And it comes amid, you know, with regards to all of this Ukraine nonsense, I mean, part of the reason why Zelensky is in office is specifically because of this sort of corruption. Because Ukrainian politicians notoriously are running around finding any American impossible who they can, you know, give bags of cash to, get bags of cash from. And Hunter Biden made himself a very vulnerable target. Look, I'm sympathetic to folks who struggle with addiction, but the fact is there is a reason why we are very careful about who we grant security clearances to 
based on their past substance abuse. And that is because you don't want Hunter Biden high on crack giving out money to prostitutes or worse, honeypots, which is something that we know that he did. And we know that Joe Biden was wiring him money while he was abroad. We know that he was cavorting with Russian hookers and whatnot. And who knows what valuable intelligence has been you know, compromised yes. as a result of this. The direct financial implications alone are dangerous. It's dangerous, again, not just politically for this presidency, but as always, for national security of the country. Got to find out what the whatnot is. Tina, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Buck. After publicly cursing out Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot is lamenting the toxicity of America's public discourse. Oh yeah, we have that video for you in Quick Hit. Stay with us. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot calls for less toxicity in our public discourse. And Elizabeth Warren calls for an end to crisis pregnancy centers. Those stories on Quick Hits, let's get into it. Um, Lori Lightfoot might be the worst mayor in the whole country. And she's the mayor of Chicago, our third largest city, and, and a great city that has been ruined by the just outrageous levels of violent crime in that city. And Lori Lightfoot has done nothing to make any of this better, it seems. She's just awful at her job, shows no leadership, no vision whatsoever. But she thinks that she's in a position now to tell everybody, you know, let's, let's tone it down. Let's, let's get rid of the toxicity in our public discourse. Watch this. The toxicity in our public discourse is a thing that I think we should all be concerned about, right? And it's ironic, obviously, that we're having this conversation and what happened on Independence Day. You know, we're not like a lot of other countries where the independence, their version of Independence Day is marked with, you know, tr uh, troops and tanks. And no, what we do in the United States is we come together as a community. Ah, this is interesting because Lori Lightfoot, uh, last June, or this past June, last month, had this to say about Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas after a decision came down from that court that she did not like. Watch. If you read Clarence Thomas' concurrence, he said, thank you, Clarence Thomas. F. Clarence Thomas, she said at a public concert recently, the mayor of Chicago, appearing as the mayor on a microphone. But she wants to get rid of the toxicity you see in our public discourse. That's what she said. Yeah. And then there's Elizabeth Warren, who is an abortion zealot, really, really believes that everybody should just be having abortions for any reason, no reason, as much as they want, as many abortions as possible. Someone should ask Elizabeth Warren. Uh, what do you think? Is, some, is 20 abortions okay? Oh, of course she would say yes. A 20 abortions is no problem at all. She's sick. But she represents a, a mentality among uh, leftist uh, women of her age that is really troubling to see. And she also hates, it seems, crisis pregnancy centers, which are trying to help women that are dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and actually help them have babies. That's awful to Elizabeth Warren. Watch. Senator Warren also taking aim at pregnancy crisis centers. Here in Massachusetts, these so-called 
uh, crisis pregnancy centers outnumber genuine abortion clinics by three to one. She says women walk into the centers believing they'll get abortions. Instead, they try to talk women out of it. She calls it a bait and switch. They are giving it over to people who wish them harm. And that has to stop. We need to put a stop to that in Massachusetts right now. Wish them harm? People are trying to encourage a baby to be born. Life. What a sicko. I mean, honestly, she is, she is grotesque. She's not a good person. And this goes beyond politics. I mean, what she's saying there is awful. She has no moral core whatsoever. And she should be ashamed, but she's not. Instead, you know, she's lionized by shrill cat ladies in their 60s and 70s all across America. Then there's these morons, the Just Stop Oil activists who are gluing themselves to Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper at the Royal Academy to protest, you know, climate or something. Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, we are sorry for the disruption. Leonardo da Vinci said, out of all the sciences, art is the queen of communication. And now, more than ever in this day and age, communication of the truth and of the experience of humanity during these times of catastrophic climate change is needed now more than ever. Climate change. People are civilizational arsonists and they are dangerously stupid. That's everything I told the line that No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields High. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia, and you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. 
It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.